Thank you for listening to Pleasant Grove Baptist Church Sermon Audio. For more information, please visit our website, pgbcronda.com, or visit on all social media platforms. We'll be in the book of Colossians, two more Sundays this week and next week, and I'll be in book chapter 3, verse 15 through the first verse in chapter 4, if you want to turn there. Um, as we get started today. Uh, over the last five weeks, we've been preaching through the book of Colossians. We've talked through knowledge is power and what that looks like in our life. We talked about how Jesus rules over everything, what it means to be alive in Christ, what it means to be free from your past, and last week, the new life in Christ, the putting on and the putting off that Christ wants us to do. And today, we'll be talking about Christ and the home. And so if you found your place, Colossians 3, verse 15, we'll stand and we'll read. Verses will be on the screen for you as we get started. The Bible says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts unto the Lord. And whatsoever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Verse 18, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as it is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wife, and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things to your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily, as unto the Lord, not unto men, knowing that as the Lord ye shall receive the reward of your inheritance, for you serve your Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 25, But he that doeth wrong shall receive the wrong for which he has done, and there is no respecter of persons. Verse 1 of chapter 4, Masters, given to your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Lord, we pray that you would just have your will and way this service. I pray, God, that your word would go out and that you would use the words that I have to say this morning to uh, encourage someone today. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. 850 years ago, a group of people decided to build a new cathedral. And in this cathedral, they began to build. and, And after a couple of Months of building, they began to go into the second story of this building. And as this story, as this building was was beginning to be built, all of a sudden the building began to collapse or begin to lean. Lots of money had been given, lots of money had been uh, given to make this wonderful cathedral happen, and they didn't understand why this was happening. And so over the next 200 years, they began to invest money and time to build this building so that it would withstand the crumbling foundation that was underneath it. We know this building by this picture right here, the Leaning Tower of Pisa. It took 200 years for them to complete it. It's been completed for 650 years, and it was all because there was a bad foundation that was put on it. The foundation was futile. The foundation was not able to withstand two stories, much less the eight or nine stories that this cathedral was going to hold. And our family, our church, and our life must have a firm foundation built. 
2,100 years ago, you can go to the next slide, 2,100 years ago, the old city of Jerusalem was built. Herod came in and he wanted to erect a, a masterpiece, a, a massive rectangular structure on top of a mountain, if you've seen this picture before, of the old city, and the foundation of those stones are bigger than this building is. Because Herod knew he wanted a structure that was going to last for all centuries. And 2,000 years later, you can still go and you can go to the bottom of that wall and you can see those bottom st structures of that foundation that are massive stones. Because in our life, we must have a foundation that is firm. The very first institution that was ever given was the family. And God has instituted the family throughout all of history. And the church this morning is designed to be a family. And God says that with the right foundation, our homes can live the correct way and our churches can be effective if we have the right foundation. And our foundation of every home should be Christ. And so this morning, uh, I did not plan, I shared with a couple people last week, I did not plan to be preaching on thankfulness the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Uh, but it just so happens that verse 15 and verse 17 both have the word thankful in it. And so through the providence of God, I entitled four different, three different points of thankfulness and how we can be thankful for Christ in our home. And the very first one is this, we should be thankful for Christ. Very simple in verse 15, we should be thankful for Christ. The gift that Christ offers us changes us. You ever got a gift that changed your life? I can remember fifth grade, we were, uh, man, I, I'm a gamer, I like to play games and video games, and I, I can remember the Nintendo 64 was coming out. How many of you remember the Nintendo 64? All right, it was cutting edge, top of the line game system. My family, we were poor, we couldn't afford this, and so we kept asking mom and dad, we go, I want the Nintendo 64, I want the Nintendo 64. We woke up, Christmas came, and I went in, and we opened up all the presents, and we didn't get the Nintendo 64. Oh, we were let down. It was, it was, it was the, I thought, man, this is the worst Christmas ever, fifth grade. I can remember, we're not going to be able to play 64. We're going to go back to school and all the other kids are going to be playing it and we're not going to. And I, I can remember that we were just sort of let down. And uh, we went to my grandparents' house for Christmas that night and uh, we went and we were opening presents and my uncle came in and he said, I've decided to give the entire set, all of my, my family, one gift. We opened it up. And you guessed it, it was the Nintendo 64. I went home and we, I mean, we were fighting over who was going to play it, right? I had 30 minutes and my brother had 30 minutes, my sister had 30 minutes and Donkey Kong City. I can remember the games that we played and it changed the way I played video games. I love it. And, and to this day, I've got a Nintendo Switch and me and Brody, we play and we enjoy these things. But gifts change our life sometimes. And the gift of Christ changes our life. We are a new creation in Christ. We have a new identity. We have a new purpose. We have a new source of joy when Christ is in our life. And in verse 15, he starts out by saying, and let the peace of God rule in your heart, which are called into one body, and be thankful. And in these couple of verses, 15 through 17, Paul begins to lay out some things that we can be thankful for Christ. The first one is this, the peace of Christ. Have you ever been in an unrest, an uneasy state, and, and you just don't know what to do? You don't know who to turn to. You don't know who to go to. Maybe you're, you're away from your family. When, when me and my wife got married 12 years ago, we, we, we began to pack up a U-Haul, and a couple of weeks after our marriage, we moved to Idaho. 
We were away from family. We were away from friends. And we were living on love, legitimately living on love. We had no money in our pocket. And we were just serving the Lord and living on love. And there were times where me and her would look at each other and we had each other. And we had Christ. And we had the peace of Christ that comes to us because we understood the peace that Christ gives us. In our culture today, it's easy for our hearts to be entangled with fear, anxiety, frustration. And it's so good to know that Christ says, no, I have come to give you peace to rule in your hearts. But in order for us to have this peace, we must allow Christ to rule in our hearts. We cannot have the peace if Christ is not the ruler of our hearts. And Christ says here, we must have the peace ruling in our hearts, controlling our hearts, controlling our actions, controlling everything about us. Because we have the peace that the creator, the consciousness of Christ, the circumstances that are around us, Christ can bring peace. Not only does he bring peace in this situation, but in verse 15 it says this, he brings unity. He makes a statement that we are one body. You are called to one body. You are called to be part of the body, the family of Christ, because Christ says peace brings unity. Peace, peace being, brings this overwhelming sense of just comfort in our life, of knowing that Christ is in control, even when things don't seem like they should be right. Even when someone gets diagnosed with cancer in your family, even when someone who's the closest to you may pass away, or a circumstance in your life isn't right, knowing that Christ is there and Christ is in the midst of that situation brings peace and comfort to us. Not only does it bring unity, not only does this peace come into our life, the second thing is this, why should we be thankful for Christ? The message of Christ. Verse 16, it says, and let the word of Christ dwell in you. This is the message that Christ has given us. The only way the body of Christ can see unity is through a singular view of Christ. The words of Christ, the very works of Christ that God has given us is the way we have unity. And this is brought about through three simple ways. I didn't put them in your notes, but you can write them down if you want to. The first is the gospel. The gospel must be the dwelling point of every single person that lives for Christ. It is the beginning of the view of who Christ is. Chapter 2, verse 3, we hit on this a couple weeks ago. This is the source of all wisdom, is the gospel. This is the salvation that Christ brings to us. In church this morning, as we begin to look at the message, the gospel of who Christ is, this is the thought that brings everything into cohesion. When we don't understand what to do in this situation, what does the gospel say? How should we live this life? How should we work in this area? What does Christ say to do? Love one another. Teach one another. Bear one another burdens. This is the gospel of Christ. And this is how we live in unity with one another. But not only do we have the gospel, we have what it continues on by saying, teaching one another, admonishing one another. Our collective goal is simply this, to teach and to train and to admonish one another in the gospel. That should be the goal of our life. Our singular focus of goal is am I teaching, am I training, and am I admonishing one another in Christ? And as we begin to go through our life, as we begin to go through our church life, as we begin to uh, ask ourselves, what are we doing as a church? We must ask ourselves, is this what we're doing? Are we teaching, training, and admonishing one another? And then he gets to this last point, and as someone who can't sing, as someone who has not the greatest voice in the world, I love this point because he says this in verse 16, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with grace in your hearts unto the Lord. 
And this is the form of putting on worship, not only just coming to church, but coming and saying, I want to lift my voice in a way that is praising to the Lord. Not only at church, but every single day of our life. I'll find myself often uh, as the kids leave and they go to work with Allie and I'll be in there getting ready and I'll play music on the Alexa or I'll play music on my phone and I'll just begin singing and worshiping that morning. Hudson's in there getting ready and, and he's watching his songs and, and he's, he's eating his breakfast and I just find myself worshiping the Lord and in Christ alone or some song that I'm listening to that day and I'm realizing this is worship, this is singing and encouraging my heart because the message that Christ gives us brings peace in our life. All forms of singing can be done here. It lists three ways. Psalms. You can sing through the Psalms. We have an entire book, 150 chapters of Psalms that the Old Testament Jewish church would sing. Hymns is listed here and these, what we can consider the hymns in our hymn book or other hymns that we've got. And then spiritual songs are songs that just encourage your heart in the Lord. This is the message of Christ. And this is what brings unity to the body of Christ. So we're thankful for the peace of Christ. We're thankful for the message of Christ. And then in verse 17, he says, you should be thankful also for the name of Christ. Look at verse 17 again. It says, and whatsoever you do in word... Indeed, do all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Whatever you do. This is an all-encompassing statement, an all-inclusive statement that is speaking of an all-inclusive behavior. Every single action, every single word, everything we do, do to the honor and glory of Christ. Paul was telling here, uh, of the magnitude of who Jesus is. He's not just the man upstairs. You're going to hear that in the Christmas season as you watch these Hallmark videos and things and, and they'll refer to God as the, the God upstairs or the, the big guy upstairs, the old man upstairs. This is not what it's talking about. This is talking about the one who has the name above all other names, who is the creator of the world, who spoke the world into existence, who breathed the gift of life into your life. It's not just the man upstairs, but he is the name above all other names. The Bible says that the name of Jesus in Acts 2.38, forgiveness is given. How many of you in here need forgiveness this morning? Every day of my life. Oftentimes, I'm going to my wife and saying, I need you to forgive me again. I messed up. I screwed up again. I need the forgiveness again. Oftentimes, I'll go to my kids and I'll say, hey, can, can I have forgiveness again? Okay, I need, that, I need that forgiveness, and Christ says that the name of Jesus, forgiveness is given. At the name of Jesus in Philippians 2.10, it says this, Every knee will bow. In heaven and out of heaven, every knee will bow at the name of Jesus. This name is not just some name we throw around, but this name is the name that has power behind it. And the Bible says in Acts 9.27, at the name of Jesus, bold preaching was given. It wasn't in the name of the apostles, it wasn't in the name of Moses, it wasn't in the name of Paul, but in the name of Jesus, bold preaching was given because the name of Jesus causes change to happen. This morning, church, we should be thankful for the peace that Christ gives, the message that Christ gives, but also the name that Christ has given us. The second thing we should be thankful for as this verses continue on, remember he's laying a foundation. 
And all throughout this book, Paul has laid the same singular focus, the same singular foundation of Christ as being preeminent over all. And so as he begins to lay the, the, the foundation of being thankful for Christ, he immediately transitions into how can you have a successful home? By one, having a successful relationship with Jesus and knowing who he is, but then changing into the thankfulness for our family in verses 18 through 21. In verses 18 through 21, he lays out three characters in this part of who we should be a part of our family. And we see this passage and all throughout scripture, God as a God of created order. And he says that if we must have successful homes, if we must have homes that are going to glorify God, then our homes must also honor God. Psalms 127.1 says this, except the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And except the Lord guards the city, the watchman cannot stay awake. The Lord must be the one that builds our house. Yes, we are the physical representations, and we're going to talk about that this morning, but the Lord must be the center, singular thought of building our family and our life. Any attempt to build our homes outside of Christ and his leadership is simply futile. Our homes will crumble, our homes will fail without the leadership of who Christ is. And he starts out by saying, wives, this is your command. He starts out by saying, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, right? Every woman's favorite S word in here, right? Submit, okay? And they're like, yes, come on. All the guys are like, yeah, preach to them. Give it to them. They need a Christmas time. They need to submit to my authority. That's what the guys are in here thinking. Give it to them, Pastor James. But one definition of submit here I found is this. I really liked it. A voluntary offering to someone else in willing support. A voluntary offering to someone else in willing support. You see, this covenant partnership of marriage that we have is solely between you and your husband. And we should respect the wishes of our husband, but it says here, respect the, uh, the, the relationship of your own husbands. It says in verse 18, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husband as it fits to the Lord. So I began thinking through this, and me and my wife, we did a, a small marriage retreat a couple of uh, months ago. I can't remember exactly when it was. We, went, we took eight or ten couples to, to Myrtle Beach, and we had a great time, and, or North Myrtle, or somewhere in North Carolina Beach. I don't know where it was. It was at the beach. And uh, I had a good time, but as we were thinking of this, and as me and my wife were studying through these, this thought came to my mind, and, and it was really encouraging because me and my wife talked about it, but the sad part about this is our day and age is... And I'm going to use this as an over-encompassing statement. Some may be different, but sad part is most women in our day are more quickly to submit to their bosses than they are to submit to their own husbands. And their boss will come in and they'll say, hey, I need these 10 things done by the end of the day. And they'll do it without a question. And they come home and their husband says, hey, I need a couple of things done. And would you not know I've been working all day? And all of a sudden there's this pushback where they're more likely to honor their boss other than honor their husband. The Bible begins to say, listen, if we want to have a strong family, if our churches are going to be strong, it begins with the wives. It begins with the wives understanding the responsibility in this relationship of respecting and showing honor and reverence to their husband in a way that is fitting unto the Lord. You see, sin has had a strain on every single marriage since the very first marriage that happened. In the very beginning, God created the family, 
the very first institute, and sin came in, and sin destroyed that marriage. And we here, 6,000, 8,000, however, however long you think the earth is, we that much longer are still having the effects of sin on our marriage. And we are not immune from this sin. We are not immune from this. But Paul says in order for us to get our marriages back in line, we must submit as unto the Lord. And we must keep the Lord first in our life and submit to our husbands in that same manner. And so Paul addresses the women. And then he gives two verses to address the men. Because the men are not only husbands, but they're fathers. And he says here, husbands in verse 19, love your wives. He says, speaks of this love in a way of emotional, physical, and spiritual love. Where he says, if you faithfully love your wife, you will no longer be bitter towards your wife. You don't have to have this statement of, well, I, I, she's not doing what I want her to do. No, he says, you need to love her and leave the rest to God. You see, men, in, in my experience, the wife is far more easier to submit to us when we sacrifice for them. You see, submitting and sacrifice go hand in hand. The Bible says we should love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And husbands, if we're not going to sacrifice for our wives, why would she show you any form of submission? She should, but if we're not going to sacrifice, she's not going to show that submission as well. You see, sacrificing for our wives is showing our children as it leads next into the perfect picture of who Christ is and the attributes of Christ. When we love our Christ and when we love our church, when we love our family the way Christ loved the church, we are showing our children and we are honoring our wives the way they should be honored. I came across this statistic and uh, I've learned in my years of preaching, you can find a statistic for anything. And anytime you can find a statistic that backs up your point, it makes it even better. And so statistic is this. If a child is the first person in the household to become a Christian, there's a 3.5% probability that everyone else in the household will follow. If the wife or the mother is the first to become a Christian, there's a 17% chance probability that everyone in the household will come to follow Jesus. But when the father is the first to come to know Christ, 93% of the time, Everyone else in the household will follow Christ. Husbands, we have an enormous responsibility in raising our family and raising our children, and we have to steward this well. We will give an account, fathers and husbands, of how we love our wives and how we raise our children because it is our responsibility, through the help of Christ, to love and cherish our wives and our children. Are we stewarding this well? And then in verse 20, right there in the middle of this, he breaks out the children, right? All the kids in here, you get a little message today as well. And, and the term here, he says this in verse 20, every parent has, has memorized this verse. And it's probably the very first verse you taught your kids to memorize. Children, obey your parents, right? That's all they've probably taught them. <laughs> and so, so let's continue on. It says, children, obey your parents in all things. Oh, yes, we're preaching that. For this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. And we teach this verse and we understand it, but, but the term obey here is a stronger term than the word is for submit for the wives. It is stronger for the children to obey their parents than it is for the wives to submit to their husbands. And so children have been given an enormous 
command here to obey their parents. Kids, under the home of your parents, we must obey our parents in everything. In everything. There is one caveat. It's the, the caveat of if the parents are asking you to do something illegal, unbiblical, or immoral, our first command is to God. But Christ is saying here through the writing of Paul, parents, we must teach our children to obey. And he asked sort of this question that I, I, I understood after I began reading this and studying it. And this is what it is. Parents, ask yourself, is your marriage right for your children to follow and obey? See, if our marriage is not right, our kids will begin to rebel. Our kids will begin to go astray because they see the family is broken. And why would I follow that? Why would I follow a broken system? And so when we begin to bring Christ into our marriage, when we begin to bring Christ into our marriage and into our family, the children naturally begin to obey because you're ready for this. Obey unto the Lord. The Lord has to be in the family for the children to obey. And it says that this pleases the Lord. And so we must understand that we as children are first to God and to his commands and understand that our parents are in that command as well. And so we must be thankful for our, our Christ. We must be thankful for our family. And then in verse 22 through 41, he gives this last point here. Thankful for our labor. Thankful for our labor. In verse 22, it says, Servants, obey in all things. Your master according to the flesh, not with eye services, men pleasers, but singleness of heart. Now, this is talking of slaves, and this is talking of slavery in this day. And Paul is in no way abdicating for slavery, but instead advising how we should treat each other. Advising how we should give each other in authority over us and those that are under us, how we should treat each other justly and equally. Those that are in subjective under our commands or underneath us. And so, so I, I simply put it like this, servants. In verse 22, he, he lays out this word, he opens it up with servants. You see, because as a child of God, we are all servants to the Most High King. We are all servants in here. And, and so as he's laying this out, we must understand our role in understanding who Christ is. And we must understand that we must initially fear God, knowing that Christ and God has placed us where we are, we should fear him and not man. Look at verse 22. Servants, obey in all things to your master according to the flesh. Not with eyes service, man, please, but fear in the heart, fearing God. And he begins to lay out this thought of if you are going to be a servant, which we all are, right? Christ came into this world, and when he came into this world and his last meal with his disciples, as he sat there with them, as he began to teach them, as he began to train them, he began to take off his outer coat, and he went and he began to serve each and every one of his disciples by washing their feet. He took on the most dirty, humiliating, humbling job there was as a form of a servant. And if Christ has put on that job, then we also can say we are also a servant. And we also are going to serve others as Christ served his disciples. So fearing God understands the place of who God is in our life, but he also continues on by saying that we should serve the Lord wholeheartedly. Serving the Lord, not men, because God is the one that gives us our reward, not man's acceptance. Oftentimes, and I'm guilty of this, we'll live for the acceptance of man. We'll live in a way where, what do other people think of me? 
What are, how am I thought of in the community? How am I thought of around other people? Because we begin to live for the acceptance of what man says we are. And Christ says, no, we must live for the acceptance of what God has called us to be and serve the Lord, not men. As Terry comes and begins to play, I want us to, to put ourselves, I came across this, this analogy. I want to just sort of bring us into this because imagine the Colossian church. They began to get this letter from Paul. They open up this letter and, and everyone sits around because they would have had a corporate reading of this letter. And, and all the, the, the wealthier people of Colossians would be seated up front. And it was almost by class, right? The, the wealthy up front and, and then the middle class and then the lower class. And then the servants would be at the very back. The slaves would be at the very back. I want you to imagine for a moment that they begin to read this letter and the slaves mingled in the back with their families, everyone else seated up front. They were in the back, they were invisible, they were ignored. No one cared about them. And all of a sudden they began to read and, and Paul says, you know what? Paul says, I, I wanna speak to the back row for a minute. He said, of course they've been told to obey their whole life, they've been told to obey their masters and, and to do what they were expected to do. But then Christ, the writing of Paul says, do this with sincerity of our heart and reverence to the Lord. All of a sudden, these slaves probably opened their eyes a little bit. What? With joy and gladness, I'm supposed to serve my master? They would have heard this for the first time, and they would have thought, this is different. This is odd. Why, why, would, I, why would I serve with gladness? And then Paul repeats what he says, and whatever you do, thereby beginning his subversion, it doesn't matter what tasks that are assigned to you, Paul was insisting that they're serving a higher authority. And they should do it with all their heart as working to the Lord. Not for human, not for masters. And then he says, not only this, but you have a reward to look forward to. These slaves would have been sitting back there and they would have been thinking to themselves, not every day would I have been addressed like this? Who is this Paul? What is he saying to me? Why? How, how, where am I at? And then... They would have begun to experience in their life where I have no luck and I've just been a slave and all of a sudden I'm hearing this wonderful news that Jesus offers an eternal hope for me. I don't have to stay where I'm at. I have this reward that is outside of justice, without fight of favoritism and this would have been astonishing to them. And then he shifts his motive and he begins to say, we all have a master in heaven, not only the slaves in the back, not only the most richest up front, but every single person, Paul himself is including this by saying we have a master in heaven. And if we have a master in heaven, we should be submitting to that master in every single day of our life in what he says to the slaves and what he says to the husbands and what he says in Christ in whatever you do, do it for the sake of Christ. You see, the theme of the entire book has stayed the same. And we'll conclude this next week. It has stayed the same of Christ being supreme and the ruler over all. This portion is no difference. Christ is supreme in our gratitude. And if we're going to be at peace with God this morning, we have to understand that his name is the most powerful name that has ever been written. You see, in the Old Testament, when they would 
when they would, scribes would begin to write the Old Testament, they would transfer from one piece of paper to another. When they came to the name of Christ, when they came to the name of Jehovah, the name of Jireh, they would wash themselves and they would get a new pen and they would begin to write it. And afterwards they were done, they would wash themselves again because they knew that the name of Jesus was the name above all other names. And somehow in our 20th century church, we have forgotten the power that Jesus' name brings. And we are living outside of that power because we have figured out a way to do it ourselves, And we have got to get back to where Christ's name is the name above all other names. Maybe this morning that's, that's where you're at. Maybe you've forgotten the power of Christ. Maybe the advice to the parents this morning is it's pretty quite countercultural. The world doesn't say raise your kids this way. It's a radical difference in the world's way of marriage and the world's way of parenting. The world says just do whatever you want and let your kids do whatever they want and, and we'll just see how it ends. But Christ, through the writing of Paul, says this. I'm going to give you some specifics. Wives obey. Wives submit. Husbands sacrifice. Children obey. And it's pleasing to the Lord. Don't provoke your children to wrath lest they be discouraged. And this is a radical shift in our marriages. And maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, you know what? I've been living my parenthood and my marriage outside of Christ's power. And I need to invite Christ back into our marriage this morning. I need to invite Christ back into our parenting this morning. Maybe this morning you're here and you've never had a relationship with the true master. The true master who came to give himself for us. And we have failed to be faithful servants of God. Maybe this morning... You need to rededicate in that sense. I don't know the need this morning in your life. Only the Holy Spirit does. I've just laid out a couple of things that the Bible has given us here. And however the Lord's dealing with your life, we'll go into a time of invitation. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you for what you've done. Lord, you are the all-power God. You are the one that spoke the world into existence and you spoke life into us. So I pray, God, as we thank you for this morning for you, as we examine our marriages, we examine our families, as we examine who we're servants to, Lord, that we would focus our life back on you. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for taking your time to listen to the sermon audio of Pleasant Grove. Please subscribe to get our latest sermons each week.